Thank you, choir, for being here today on this Memorial Weekend as well. So I wanted to also mention that this week is our Minnesota Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church, our three-day conference held in St. Cloud on the campus of St. Cloud, uh, near, near the campus of St. Cloud University. And I uh, do want to invite your prayers throughout the week. Uh, Bill Frank of our church, who is our lay delegate, will be uh, joining with me and about 800 other United Methodists here in Minnesota uh, throughout the week for conversation, for learning, for worship, and for making decisions related to the mission and ministry of our Minnesota conference. This year, um, many of the conference sessions, the worship times, the, the business sessions throughout the mornings and afternoons will be streamed uh, over the internet. So if you have some free time and uh, you want to hook up your computer and watch uh, on your own computer, that would be uh, something that I think would be helpful to many. Um, those times begin about 9 o'clock in the morning and you can just go to mnumc.org. And there'll be some links there. I don't have anything else to share with you about that, but um, do want to encourage you, if you're interested, you can follow that along by your streaming. Uh, Mike Bro is a pastor in a uh, free church setting many years ago, and he tells him an experience that he and his wife had uh, one Sunday uh, after church in a nearby restaurant of how, as they were eating, a waitress comes out of the kitchen with a five-gallon bucket of Thousand Island dressing. And she's bringing that out because she's going to fill up the salad bar, but she catches her heel on the carpet (laughs) and she launches the five-gallon container all over this uh, one gentleman and he got Thousand Island dressing from the top of his head to the bottom of his shoes and, you know, it's dripping down his forehead, off his chin, off the lapels of his suit, all over his tie, his pants, his shoes. He was an absolute mess. Uh, And he went ballistic. And he starts calling this waitress every name that a football coach reserves for players who disappoint him. (laughs) And he says things like, how stupid are you? Look at me. I've just come from church. This is the first chance I've had to wear my brand new suit. It cost me $350 and you have completely ruined it. And uh, this uh, woman, you know, begins to talk and and, and to clean him up, but he says, just get away from me. You've caused enough damage already. And now everyone in the restaurant is watching. And the guy says, I want to see the manager. And so the manager comes out, and this guy continues to rant and rave how, you know, he's got his brand new suit on. He's just come from church. He wanted to show everybody how nice this was, that kind of stuff, and how stupid this waitress was. The manager says, well, we'll clean up the suit for you. We'll, we'll take care of everything for you. But the guy keeps on going. I don't want you to clean my suit. I want a brand new suit. It's completely ruined. I want to check for it, and I want it right now. So the manager disappears with the guy, and we have to assume that he wrote him a check and that the injustice was settled. But, you know, in reading that story... Uh, the interesting part about it for me is that it happened on a Sunday afternoon where that guy and his wife had just come from church. Where I'd like to believe they had heard a message about love and forgiveness and our responsibility to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I mean, this would have been the guy's chance to put into practice what our Lord requires of all 
who would follow Jesus. But he blew it. He blew it by the scene he created. He blew it by the attitudes that he shared. He blew it by the names that he called the waitress. And I kind of wonder if this guy had ever truly met Jesus at the cross in a way that would have completely transformed his life. Because had he let Jesus transform him, you'd think he would have responded differently. People who have been transformed by Jesus at the cross are called to live differently. In restaurants, in supermarkets, on golf courses, in ball fields, in the classroom, at council meetings, in uh, voting booths, in the cubicle at work, wherever we go, we are called to live differently. And the difference shows in the way we treat other people. Because we have been forgiven for all the stupid mistakes and sins that we have committed and we forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. That is like one of the number one mandates of being a follower of Jesus. And it's the message and power of the cross. This morning I want to share with you just a little bit about the cross of Jesus and how our receiving of what happened on the cross is to transform us into people who live differently and who make a difference in the world. So let me just look at two aspects of this. First, the cross is the central theme of Scripture. The central theme of Scripture. We don't have to travel very far into the pages, for instance, of the New Testament before we realize that the cross is the central theme. Uh, the, The passion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus... By the very nature and style and content of the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they focus our attention on the cross. Everything else in the Gospels either leads up to or grows out of this one central event, the death of Jesus Christ. For instance, before Jesus was born, an angel appeared to Joseph, this young man to whom Mary was engaged and informed him that Mary was pregnant with a unique child whom the Holy Spirit had conceived in her womb. And then the angel told Joseph, and we see this in Matthew 1 at verse 21, what to name the child. And this is what he said. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Thus, even before he was born, Jesus' mission as the crucified Savior was clearly announced. Later, when Jesus himself discussed his purpose for coming to earth, he said in Mark 10 at verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. According to Jesus, his primary purpose for living among us was neither to set a good example, nor to teach a new truth, nor to perform miracles, nor to feed the hungry, nor to clothe the naked, nor to heal the sick, nor to overthrow political oppressors, nor to inspire us to greater achievements. As important as all of these are, they were not the fundamental focus of Christ's coming among us. Many other leaders have tackled these tasks as their primary goal in life, and many leaders will in the future. 
But Jesus said, in effect, my overriding, all-consuming purpose for coming among you is to die for you. To die for you. To give my life as a payment for your sins. So that through my death, you might live free in God's love forever. And so the theme, the message of the cross dominates the Gospels. The cross also dominates the whole of the New Testament. The Apostle Peter builds his thesis around the cross, writing to Christians who were undergoing intense persecution for their commitment to Jesus. Peter reminds them of the suffering and death of Christ, saying in 1 Peter 2 at verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And then later in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, he added this, for Christ died once for all, for the righteous and the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And if Peter built his message around the cross, the apostle Paul did even more. So central was the crucifixion to Paul's message that it pervades everything else that he writes. It governs his thinking because it changed his living. And that's the point of this whole message. It's just not enough to believe that Jesus died for you if the reality doesn't change the way you live. This truth absolutely transformed Paul. Speaking to Christians in Corinth who prided themselves on their intellect, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 at verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, it is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, Paul had been to university. He had been immersed in the philosophies of his time. He could have impressed the Corinthians with his oratory and blown them away with his intellect. But instead, he chose to minister to them in simplicity and in weakness, concentrating on the cross. That was the difference that the cross had made in Paul's life. Later in 1 Corinthians 2 at verse 2, he reminds them, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Friends, that's, this is who we are. And this is our future. This is our shared life together in mission to the world to know Christ and him crucified and to make him known. That's the reason we focus our attention on the cross because that is the central theme of scripture. And then my second point today, the cross of Christ can transform us into people who live differently and make a difference in the world because the cross is God's provision of hope. It really is God's only provision of hope. The most pernicious lie that the devil ever planted in the human heart is the assumption that God will grade our lives on the curve. You know, the curve in comparison to others. You and I, even though we're saved by grace, we continue to think that if we compare our lives to others, 
Oh, we live a good moral life in comparison to them. We're pretty good citizens in comparison to this. We do the best we can related to that. Somehow we think our good deeds will balance the ledger and God will treat us better or God will give us a passing grade. But do you not realize that God's passing grade is always and only 100%? God's passing grade for you and for me is nothing less than a perfect score. Therefore, we all fail. We all fall short of the glory of God by the standard of God's holiness. Not one of us can pass God's test of life on our own. This is the reason Jesus went to the cross for us and stepped into our inadequate shoes and absorbed our sin and failure into himself. He took it all upon himself on the cross. And then he transfers his righteousness, his perfection to everyone who would accept it. John calls that being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is why the cross dominates the New Testament from beginning to end. The cross is the only source of power that can transform our lives and make us ready for eternal life that begins the day you accept it and goes on forever with God. But it's also the reason why Jesus commanded us to remember his death. You know, nowhere... Nowhere are we instructed to memorialize his birth. Christmas time. Nowhere are we instructed to memorialize his life, his miracles, even his resurrection and ascension. But Jesus himself gave us orders to memorialize his death. And he instituted the celebration of the Lord's Supper for that very purpose. Why? Because his death on the cross is our only hope. It is the only solution to the problem of our sin and our guilt and our inability to make it into God's presence on our own. The writers of the New Testament show us that all other aspects of Christ's earthly mission take on their significance in light of the cross. His virgin birth. It's important because it incarnates the eternal Son of God in human flesh. Why? In order that he might go to the cross and die for us. His perfect, sinless life is important because it demonstrates his worthiness to die for us. His miracles are important because they display his authority to die for us. His resurrection is important because it authenticates his claim to die for us. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God in human flesh. He would not fall victim to his enemies. Satan would not catch Jesus when his guard was down. His death would be neither an untimely accident nor an act of martyrdom. He claimed it would be a willing sacrifice. A willing sacrifice that his heavenly Father had designed to take away the sin and guilt of the human race. Therefore, when Jesus came out of the grave on the third day after his death, he verified all these claims 
His resurrection demonstrated that he was who he said he was, and he did on the cross what he said he would do. That's the primary reason why his resurrection is important. It authenticates his claim to be the one and only Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. Even after his ascension into heaven, when he is glorified at the right hand of his Father, and he is given all power and authority over the universe, even then, Jesus is portrayed. Look this up. In Revelation 5 at verse 6, it says, as a lamb looking as if it had been slain. You see, God is never going to let us forget the cross. When we see Jesus in eternity, we will never be able to forget the cross. And so on this Memorial Sunday, we remember the crucified Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who died to set us free. And throughout the endless eons of eternity, Jesus is going to be shown before us as the Lamb of God, crucified. And much of our energy will be spent bestowing praise on him for his loving sacrifice. So now we can understand. Now we know why the apostles determined to know nothing else, to preach nothing else, and to boast about nothing else but the cross, our only source of salvation, our only ray of hope. And when we concentrate our attention on the cross, our lives are transformed and we live differently. We live with a sense of urgency. I love the description uh, of a follower of Jesus that is written up uh, in the, um, as a declaration um, among the organization called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I'll just share a part of this with you. I really take this to heart in these days. I am a part of a fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. And I won't look back or let up or slow down or back away or sit still. I won't give up or shut up or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes. Give until I drop. Preach until all know and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because my banner will be clear. My friends, my prayer for all of us is that the cross of Jesus Christ will become the focus of all that we do for the rest of our lives. And when that happens, we will live and act a whole lot differently. Think back to the story uh, with which we started this morning. The guy stood there with Thousand Island dressing, dripping off his forehead, off his chin, all over his suit that had been ruined by accident. Another guy stood there 
blood running down his forehead, off his chin, all over his robe. And it wasn't ruined by accident. It was on purpose. Jesus paid the price for our mistakes, for our sin. Why? Because he loves us that much. He died to set us free. And so we remember the words of Jesus, greater love has no one than this, but that he laid down his life for his friends. In remembering, we never forget that our tomorrows were bought with a price, and so we choose to live a whole lot differently today. Well, this is Memorial Weekend, time to understand that our tomorrows were bought with a price. The price of lives given in service to our country, the price of lives given in service to our Lord, the price of lives that have loved us as family and as friends. And so we want to take time to not only remember Christ crucified, but to remember those in our midst, in the body of Christ, who have died and gone before us. I want to invite you to turn in your programs to our litany of remembrance. And we'll share these words and read the names of those uh, amongst us who have died in the Lord this past year and we'll have a bell that will be rung in a moment of silence after the reading of each name. Please join me in this time. Friends, we gather here today to celebrate and remember those who faithfully served God and now rest in the light of God's eternal love. Their light remains forever with us and in the countless lives that were touched by them. For this, we give thanks to you, O Lord. And we now thank you for all who have faithfully lived and served. We remember with love and gratitude those of our church family who have died during this past year. Together, we remember Cody Olson. We remember Del Loudon. We remember Margaret Webster. We remember Harriet Vries. We remember Becky Gothridge. We remember Jim Drescher. We remember Alan Gould, Jr. We remember the Reverend Roland Walkus. We remember Marilyn Ormond. Please join me in this prayer. O God of both the living and the dead, we praise your holy name for all your servants who have faithfully lived and died. We thank you for the sacred ties that bind us to those unseen who encompass us as a cloud of witnesses. And we pray that, encouraged by their example and strengthened by their fellowship, 
we may be diligent followers, bringing your reign here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.